Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to see you. I'm Andy, one of the pastors here at the Valley, and uh, we are, man, we're in a series, aren't we? We're having uh, a great series called Resolve. But before we do that, I don't know if it goes on the screen here. Uh, I was going to let you know that I would love for you to join us. It is after second service, Pizza with the Pastors, and would love for you to be a part of that. If you're newer to the Valley, maybe go out, uh, do, some, do something, and uh, come back right after second. That's about 1215. The other thing I want to let you know is, yeah, you can go to, let's go to that next one. Uh, on, on Super Bowl Sunday, we're having uh, we're what we call Football Sunday. And uh, we want you to wear your jerseys. We're going to have an indoor tailgate. It's going to be a big blowout. And this is a perfect event to invite friends. Um, and we would love for you to do that. We're going to have tailgate foods. It's just going to be a great time. And uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, an Ohio State football player, and uh, that w- a previous one, and uh, hear how their journey has helped them draw close to God and uh, what their experience has been like. You won't want to miss that. So just letting you know, you can already begin to invite your friends. Well, we're, th- this has been one of my favorite series, uh, Resolve. Uh, Resolve is, you know, it's, it's really about setting a course and living a life of integrity in, in the new year. Uh, really, it's about living at any time, but we're looking, uh, how do we resolve in 2023 to live the way God wants us to in a world that's hostile to him? How do we set a course, how do we set a course to, to carry out what God's called us to do? When I was in the military, um, I was a combat engineer, and uh, we also were, everybody in the Army is infantry too, and they taught me infantry tactics, and uh, one of the things we had to learn how to do was to set a course and so they'd tell us where they wanted us to go. If we were to go 30 degrees, you know, that's probably north. We go to 30, and they would tell you where to go and so, uh, to accomplish the mission. And you would get your lensatic compass out. That's this deal. And you would, you would put it until you got it to 30 degrees. And then you would you'd look out into the distance and you would spot a landmark, hopefully far enough away it, what, you wouldn't have to do this over and over and over, and you would spot one, hopefully about a half mile away, depending on how many trees were there. Uh, sometimes uh, there was so much in the way that you could only go maybe 30 yards. Other times you could go a half mile. just depends on where you were. And, and you, would, you would pick out a landmark in the distance, and then you would move toward that. But that's really what's, what resolve is all about. Resolve is firmly deciding in your mind to set a course somewhere that God has for you. And so the question I have for all of you is, what's your landmark this year? What is the landmark that you are moving toward this year? What does God have for you? That's why we we did seek him first. It was a a week of, I'm going to set aside the rich foods, and I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to, I'm going to try to hear from God. I'm going to read his word, and I'm going to I'm going to call on God. I'm just going to spend time with him and be still before him. And I'm going to hear from him and let God direct me so I'll know what to aim for. What, what's the landmark that God has for you? And some of them are the same landmarks we all have. God's really clear in his scripture about some of those landmarks. And sometimes God gives us specific courses to set in our life. I want to challenge you to, to hear from God and to figure out what that course is. Now, 
We talked about what resolve was, and I've got to use a little of this. Resolve is firmly deciding in your mind, firmly deciding in your mind what you're going to do. Well, this is, this is slime. I, have you ever seen this stuff? A young mom warned me, if I get it on my clothes, I might as well throw them away. So I've got to be really careful. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I was the guy, I was the kid in kindergarten, they wouldn't give me glue. So this is because they knew what was going to happen, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, it is kind of dangerous. But slime is like formless. It just goes wherever, you, you know, it's just all over the place. There's, there goes the carpet. <laughs> That's our minds <laughs> without resolve. But God calls us, God calls us to be firmly decided. I did bring, yes, I did bring these. Hopefully I'll save some clothes. We'll see. Some, maybe one of you will get a gift after the service. You can have some slime to take home with you. Are you slime or are you concrete in your resolve? Are you firmly decided what God has for you? Are you set on doing what God wants you to do on living for Him? Have you resolved to put him first in your life? Are you slime or are you concrete? You know, we've already been diving into this series and we've talked about what does it mean? Okay, so to, what is resolve? It's to firmly decide in our mind that we're going to set a course to live for God, even in a world that tries to pull us away. And, and, and how are we going to do that? We're going to have to burn the boats. We're going to, we're going to have to get rid of the other options. We're going to have to jettison the fallback plans. And then last week, Pastor Cindy taught us that that we're going to put some habits in our life. And as we form habits, they will then form us. And many of you really resonated with that that line. But it's true that as, as you form habits in your life, those habits will then form you. And what habits are you forming in your life? You see, the, the, the practices that you put in your life are very spiritual kind of decisions. But you, some have asked, is there more than that? Is it just about practices and setting a course? What, how, how, how do I power this resolve? How do I, how do I keep it going past Valentine's Day? Because that's what Pastor Cindy said. Most val- mo- most people who set New Year's resolutions or whatever you do, whatever, whatever goals you set, often by Valentine's Day, they're already in the rearview mirror. So, so how do we power that kind of resolve? Well, we've talked about some of these things, but, but there's more. There's something else. And so we're going to take a look in Daniel chapter 3. How did he and his friends, and we're really going to focus in now on, on Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three characters who are with Daniel, three friends who are with Daniel. These are the young men, probably ages 15 to 17. They've been taken captive from Jerusalem, their home, their religion, their people, and they've been transported to Babylon. Um, Aspenaz, who's the chief official under Nebuchadnezzar, is, he's been told to mold them into Babylonians. That's not a good thing. See, Babylon is known. That's a metaphor for everything wicked, everything anti-God there is. That's the land of Babylon. And, and so the very fact that they've been taken from their land and, and taken to Babylon to become Babylonians is a terrible thing if, you, if you're a God follower. And now they have to try to live out this faith. They, they have to set a course. They've already got a course, but they've got to stay on that course 
in spite of all the opposition, in spite of all the tests and the struggles, because over and over, and we see in the book of Daniel, one thing amazed me is that he gets tested over and over and over. You would think, hey, he's following God. Let's ease up on him a little bit. But no, he, we, he was thrown into the lion's den last week, Daniel chapter 6. And in Daniel chapter 2, he's, and that, that first story we looked at, the first passage we, we dove into, like, like he either had to figure out what the king's dream was and then interpret it for him or he was going to get killed along with other, all the other wise men. I mean, this is test after test after test and this week is no other. Now here's the deal. Do you know that Satan tempts us to sin so that he can destroy us? God tests us to build us up and strengthen our faith and prove it. See, two different things. And we often think that a test is a temptation but sometimes God allows things in our life. I'm not convinced that I think that he does not cause most of the tests. He allows Satan, who has some freedom in this world for a time, he allows him to bring things into our life, and, and God allows Satan to do that. And we don't understand it all. We have to trust God. But God does it for our best. He does it for our good. And sometimes we get so angry at God when the tests come because they're hard, because they're difficult. And we believe that when we come to know God that he ought to just take all those away. But he doesn't because he wants to build and strengthen your faith and that's so much more important to him than your comfort. Comfort's coming. Him of heaven. <laughs> that is coming. So turn with me, Daniel chapter 3, whatever you're using, if you have the app, uh, go to the message notes. It's all there. You can pull it up on your version. Uh, if you've got a, a Bible, pull it open. Um, I, I challenge you to underline and highlight some things as we go through because this is powerful stuff. Daniel chapter 3. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of the whole thing, and he knows it. He feels it. Like he thinks he's God, not just king. He made an image of gold. 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura, the province of Babylon. Dura is about 6 miles outside of Babylon proper, so it's in this, just this flat plain. So you can imagine this huge tower coming up out of the plain. That, that's going to make an impact, an impression, which is exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar's trying to do. 60 cubits, by the way, was the unit of measure that the Babylonians used. That was their basic unit which was kind of a message. I'm your basic unit. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar, he knew what he was doing. So this thing's 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. It's, made of, it's probably made of wood, gold-plated. Uh, even in Babylon, there wasn't enough gold to probably make that thing solid, and so it would have been that way. And he's erected this image so that people will worship him. They will, it's a message that I've arrived, th that I'm all-powerful. And often in those days, people would erect leaders, commanders, what, what, people that were in charge would erect some kind of a statue that said, I'm in charge of this area. I'm in control. And he, he erected such a large one. He's really saying, I'm in control of the world. I, I've got it all. Like, you should worship me. It's kind of a symbol of how King Neb feels about himself and how he wants others to feel about him. That, that's really what's going on here. This is a, a contrast with God. It says, he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials 
to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. That tells you just in that verse how big Babylon is. Like the government, it takes, it takes that long just to name all the different levels of government officials. Can you imagine? You think you got it bad today? <laughs> There's a whole lot more in this thing, okay? And it says, now they stood before it. Nebuchadnezzar then uh, issues a command that all the people are to fall down and worship the golden image, which goes against at least two commandments, the first two. God says, I am the Lord your God. Tim Nebuchadnezzar is trying to make it clear that he thinks he's God and he wants you to worship him like God. And then he says in, in the second commandment that we aren't to have any other gods before us. And so there are at least two commandments that King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to get people to break and he's breaking right in there because God says you're to worship me alone. You're not to worship any government. You're not to worship any king. You're not to worship the things of this world, the systems of this world that oppose God. You're not to worship that. And so here's what happens in verse 6 to those, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar says is going to happen to those who don't fall down. He says, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Any God that has to issue an edict like that so that they can be worshipped probably aren't worth their salt. And that's what's happening here. Uh, We went to Hawking Hills a few years ago, and uh, on the way I saw this thing beside the road. I couldn't drive past without taking a look at that. So I, I, I got out, you know, we went and uh, parked and went and looked at that thing. You know that thing is an iron, it's a furnace. That thing is a furnace. They used to make pig iron in that. What they'd do is they'd burn wood, make charcoal, or, or they'd take coal. It was kind of a combo at some times. They would put that in the base, and they would superheat that. They had bellows on the side, and that thing would get superheated, and they would throw pig iron on the top, and it would, it would extract the, the ore, or the iron from the ore. It would, and apparently there was iron in the ore, and, they, and, and that would burn it away. And so they would just dump the ore down the top. Now this was in the late, mid-1800s, all the way to the early, I'd say even in the early 1900s, I think was what I'd read, that they were still using these. This is the exact kind of furnace that King Nebuchadnezzar was using. Can you imagine? Bigger, grander. And, and he, he, his threat is, if you don't worship me, I'm going to throw you into this really hot furnace that we use to burn, <laughs> that we use to extract iron from ore. It says, therefore, as soon as they'd heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, yeah, the zither, can't you, don't you wonder what that was? <laughs> the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and the people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so when the music plays, they all worship. It's kind of what we do here on Sunday morning. When the music plays, we come in corporately and we worship. This is a different kind of worship. This is worship of King Neb. And so everybody does it except three. There are only three who don't bow down. Can you imagine how hard it is, how hard it would have been for these three that that have been taken from their own country and brought in this foreign place and been told they have to worship this statue, which they know is wrong. They know they could have made all kind of excuses. Well, um, I'm bowing, you know, I know I'm bowing my physical knee, but I'm not bowing my heart. They could have, they could have, all those kind of excuses could have come up. 
Can you imagine how hard in this environment, knowing that you're going to end up in the furnace? Like you saw it. You know how hot it is. I mean, all, none of us want to burn. We, we know that's one of the fears that probably is common among all people. Can you, and, and this, this is what they're facing and the contempt and the jeers of all the people because, of course, anytime you set a course, that's not what the world wants you to set. That's not what, they, that's not what they've set. They're going to jeer you. They're, they're going to make fun of you. you. Maybe you've experienced that. When you, go in, when you go another way, when you follow God, it's not going to be popular because the popular way is the world. And when I'm talking about the world, I'm talking about the ways of uh, the systems that go against, that are opposed to God. And, and you're going to have opposition when you go and you set a course that way. And so what happens is some of King Nebuchadnezzar's jealous advisors, they don't like that here's these upstarts that have come from Jerusalem. They've been trained, and now like they actually are being treated like heroes. They're being elevated above the other Babylonian officials, and they don't like that, and, and they don't like that they are worshiping God. They're the ones that set this thing into motion anyway. And so they call them out to King Neb. That's what happens. If you follow God, just know you're going to have opposition. It might come from your family. It might come from your friends. It might come from your workplace. You don't know. But the reality is there will be people who will object to you following God. And so this jealous group says this. There were some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Slam. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar's furious. I mean, he's in charge. He's God. He's like nobody is going to turn him down. But he decides to give these guys a second chance. You know why? Chapter 2. In chapter 2, that's the test where King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Nobody can interpret it. And he says, he gives a command that nobody can fulfill. And that is, hey, I want you to figure out the dream and then interpret it for me. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is so you can make it up. And no, and nobody can do that except if God is on your side. And they are. And so he wants to give these Jewish men another chance because they just, they just did that. God had used them and he had elevated them. So he gives them a second chance, but they refuse. Look what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. He has the capacity. They tell King Nebuchadnezzar, deliver us from your hand. You aren't in charge. You might think you are. But my God has the ability to deliver us. It says, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. They firmly believe that God could intervene. And he may intervene. And they even are hoping that it will intervene. This is how their, I think this is also their prayer. But then they say this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. How many of us would say that same thing? Because they're saying, God, and I don't know what situation you're facing today. You may be going through a test. 
God has allowed something to come into your life that's very difficult, very painful, and you want to give up. You want to get angry at God. You, you want to go your own way. You, you don't really want to trust that he's good anymore. Can you say, God, I know you have the capacity, and I believe that you want to intervene in my life and make things good. But even if you don't, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you're good, that you really do care about me and what's best. And even if I can't see it, even if I don't understand it, I'm going to trust in you. That's what they're saying. Are you there today? Some of the biggest failures in my life have come in the times of testing. When, when I wondered if it was, is this Satan tempting me or is this God testing me? Sometimes we, it takes a while to sort it out. If it's going to grow you, it's probably God. <laughs> it is God. If it's going to destroy you, it's Satan. But in those moments, sometimes I decided, I know God could deliver me, but I don't know if he wants to, and I don't know if he's good. Like if God was really good, he wouldn't let this happen in my life. If God was really good, this would have never happened. Can we all raise our hand and say, yeah, been there, been there. Why didn't you do something, God? Why didn't you change this for me? And I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're just about to face the fires, here they are, all they've done is worship God. All they've done is serve him, and now they're about to get thrown into the fire. They're like, God, why aren't you showing up for me? You, you think that could be their response. That's sometimes been my response, unfortunately. You know, like, sometimes I think I want to go through another test because I want to get it right this time. You ever thought that? I want to get it right. I want to honor God no matter what it costs me personally. Are you there? That's resolve. That's setting a course. And you ain't going to do that on your own. You're not going to make those decisions in that moment when the furnace is coming. You're going to do that on your own. You're going to need some habits that have developed you and prepared you. You're going to have to have a concrete-like resolve. You're going to have gotten rid of all the other options. And today you're going to discover another thing that you need. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He liked them. It's funny how that goes. People can like you until you make a decision or go away that they don't like. All of a sudden, they don't like you. <laughs> That's what's happened here. His attitude changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, which is kind of strange because in the end, it was hot enough to kill him already. And uh, it might have actually taken a little longer when it wasn't so hot. Now he's made it hotter. Like I go, go, poof, it's going to be over quick. So I'm not exactly sure why he did that, but he, I guess it was the idea. It was, it was the mental anguish that he was causing. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. So the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. That's the end, right? Fall into the fiery furnace, it's over. Like you're going to burn up. Sometimes when we go through the fire, when we go through a difficult, hard time, we feel like it's over. 
we're going to burn up. God, just let me die. We've probably all been there a time or two. We've come to the end of our rope. We wonder how we got here and why we're here and why God isn't acting up for us, doing something in our favor. And we just want to die. We want to give up. But it's not over. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Unbound and unharmed. That is a life worth living. Unbound, not constrained, free, not tied down by by failure and guilt and shame, not tied down by making decisions that move you away from God, and unharmed. Now what's interesting, God came to them in the midst of the fire. You see, the son of the gods, most commentators believe that was Jesus before he came as a Christ child, that he, in the Old Testament, there were several times he came in human form or angelic kind of form and visited. And most believe that was a case right here. That was Jesus himself walking among with them. Others say it's an angel. In the end, it's the presence of God. I I like to think that it really was, I believe that it was Jesus walking with those three men in the fire. And they were unharmed. You see, I want you to know that Jesus comes to you in the midst of the fire. He doesn't wait till you get out and pull you out. They were walking around in the fire. Sometimes you and I, what do we pray for? Get me out. Pull me out. God, why am I here? And God wants you to see that when you're walking in the fire, if he's with you, you'll be unbound and unharmed. And there's more growth in that than there is from him pulling you out. We want the immediate rescue. Pull me out of the water. Get me out of this place. But God doesn't always do that. He just promises to walk with you. And yes, there is a day when all that will be gone, when there will be no more tests like that. (laughs) Unbound and unharmed. I love what it says in the book of Isaiah. It says, But now the Lord says, Do not be afraid, for I have bought you and made you free. I have called you by name. You are mine. And then he says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not flow over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. (laughs) The fire will not destroy you. What a promise today. Some of you have already gone through some difficult times. You've lost someone that was precious to you, that was close to you, and sure feels like fire. Maybe you've, you've struggled with your identity, who you are, your value and your worth, and like that's been a fire. You're not so sure. You never feel secure. Others, man, uh, somebody's done something to you. Or maybe you've done something and now you don't know if you can ever be forgiven, if you can ever be made new, and you're walking in the fire. 
invite God in. You will be unbound and unharmed, no matter how hot the furnace is. So, so how, do, how does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do it, though? That, that's really what the question is. How, how do they pull that off? Because you and I, we would love to be like that. We would love to make that call. How do we make that call? How do, how do, when the moment comes, how do we step across the line for God's favor? The answer, I think, is found in verse 16. Verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a package deal right there. Have you ever noticed you don't ever see, well, Shadrach did this, and, then, and later on. No, it's always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And at the end, they say, we. King Nebuchadnezzar, we. They speak as one voice. See, they're friends. They're spiritual brothers together. That's their secret. Do you know friends are a powerful force Scientific literature tells us this over and over. The friends you form will then form you. See, friends give us confidence. They give us a sense of ourself, particularly when we're going through difficult times. They increase our sense of belonging. They significantly influence our lives. The people you allow to be your closest friends in your life have more influence over you than almost any other person. Studies show that if you're uh, overweight, that there's a 57% chance that your friends will be overweight. There's a flip side to that. When your friends adopt a, a very healthy exercise regimen, eat right, all those kind of things, do you know that that's typically what your friends will do? In fact, um, if a smoker, someone who's been smoking, decides to stop smoking, they take that step of courage, and, and there's a, for them, they, they know physically they need to do that, is a 36% chance that their friends will stop lighting up as well. It could go on and on and on. We could talk about, but it's really about the influence of friendships, the, the people closest in your life. Now, I, I need to just give a little caveat here, a little asterisk. The reality is we all need friends in our life that are close, and we need friends that, are, that we're just meeting. See, how can we impact the world if we don't have friends who are unbelievers, who, who don't know Jesus, who are on this journey? And so we ought to be investing in them. We ought to be inviting them to, into relationship with us, inviting them into relationship with Jesus, inviting them to come and worship with us. That's, we're to make friendships like that. But your closest friends, those in your inner circle, your Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they need to be God followers. They need to be godly people because they will influence you more than you influence them. We've heard this said. It was last week, and I loved it. I, I so believe it. You form habits, and then they will form you. It's so true. The habits you form will form you. So you set a course of action, right? You've got a goal. You, you, God's sending you somewhere. The reality is, your goal will not go anywhere without habits. See, habits power your goals. Habits power that thing that God's called you to do. And so if you don't put the right habits in your life, forget about the goal. You're just basically, you don't have the, you don't have the ability to reach that goal. But here's the deal. It's not just about habits. It is about the habits you put. You ought to be praying. You ought to be reading God's Word. I hope you're reading through the Bible this year. I hope that's a I'll give you a challenge. That's one of the practices that will, that will form you, and you'll be ready for the, when, the, when the time comes, when the fiery furnace shows up. 
but form friends and they will form you as well. You form friends and they will form you as well. I got a group of friends I meet with every six months or so, and it sounds like, well, that's a long time, but I talk to them in between time. These are, about, these are six pastors. We hang out. We talk. We share our lives with each other. We share what's going on in the church. We, we pray for each other. And, and we just spend time. And we, as we're sharing what's going on, like, like we're sharing the difficulties and the challenges, and we're like we're all talking about our own experiences and how we dealt with that. And, and, we just, and what, what I've found is that, that I'm not so sure I'd still be a pastor without that group. Like, like when the fires have come, and when I felt like, whew, this is too hard. I'm not enough for this. Like, the opposition seems too strong. The pain seems too great. It's just too big for me. Anybody? I'm hanging out with these guys. And when I'm sharing my stuff and they're sharing theirs, they're not giving up. They're in the fire. Some of these guys have been in like really pretty tough spots as pastors where they've got to work through some things and do some things that they're uncomfortable with. But, and they do it. They're not looking for a way out. They do it. And that resolve <laughs> like encourages me. It, it just... I can't give up. They got a worse situation. And they're, they're trusting God in this. They're trusting that even if God doesn't work, that, that he's good. And they're going to do what they know to do and let God do the rest. God is good to give me that group of friends. He wants you to have a Shadrach, a Meshach, and an Abednego. Who are they in your life? The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for encouragement is zak. It means to prevail. It means to harden. It means to make strong and resolute. That's what friends do. They encourage one another. And it's not just with words. It is with words. But you know, it's usually not what my friends say. It's the very fact that they're sharing their life and they're facing the challenge head on. They've firmly decided God's given them a course and they're not turning no matter what comes. That's the thing that touches and moves my heart. Now there is one guy, no matter, whenever you, you, we, we talk and, and uh, we come to a hard spot and we already know what we kind of need to do, but you're talking it out with the group, he'll say, you know what you need to do. <laughs> he, we want to make a bobblehead with that on just and give that to him. Uh, maybe we each need a bobblehead like that. We already know what we need to do. We just have a hard time doing it. Paul tells uh, the church in Thessalonica, he says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Can't do that if you don't have friends. Can't do that if you're not hanging out together. It's hard to do without friends. You see, he wants us to walk around un unharmed and unbound with Jesus in the midst of the fire. Do you have friends like that? Or have you tried to play it by yourself 
Have, have, have you tried to walk in this journey alone? I love what it says in Acts chapter 2. It said all the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. See, you're not going to make it to the objective on your own. When I was in the military, <clears throat> excuse me, losing my voice there, going back to 12. I almost, <laughs> it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm convinced. God, help me go back to 12, right? Oh, we were combat engineers. This was a unit in Greenville, and uh, every, every MOS, that's your, that's your skill set, right? Every MOS also was, was an infantry guy. That's just what it was. And so one day, or one weekend, we were going to plan training, and I, I decided we were, I, was, I was picked to plan the training. So we, we planned this training where we, we actually did combat maneuvers, where you, you had to maneuver as teams, to take the objective, to accomplish the mission. And uh, the thing about maneuvering together is in, in fires, you always want to have mutually supporting fires. And so you want to move as teams, coordinated teams, where one team is covering another team and the fires are interlocking, mutually supporting each other, and team upon team upon team. You, that's how you attack objectives. And so we, we rehearsed that, we practiced that all morning. And uh, after we got done, uh, at lunchtime, I'd planned uh, a paintball games. So we went to, we were at a paintball field, and that's your tax dollars at work. Thank you very much. That was good stuff. And, uh, but it was good, because here's the thing. It's easy to go bang, bang. It's, a, it's different when there's actually paintball flying. It, it, it uh, you know, that stuff stings. And so we got two teams. We played capture the flag. We had a flag at each end, and we had teams at each end. And we told them, we want you we want you to use what you learned about fire maneuver when you go get that flag. And so all of a sudden, you know, the horn goes off, the flag goes up, and boom, everybody's off. And, and the teams, there's some that are working as teams, but there's a few people, they, they didn't get the memo. Well, they didn't want to hear the memo. They wanted to be Rambo. They wanted all the glory themselves, and so they just, they just like went off by themselves, tried to be Rambo. Every one of them got thwacked really quickly multiple paintball shots all over done out the teams that moved with precision were mutually supporting they went right through powered right through the enemy grabbed the flag the reality is that we are better together you and I we need friends do you have friends in your life Ecclesiastes 4.2 says this, or 4.12. And we often read this at weddings, by the way, but this isn't just for weddings. This is for us today. It says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I'm kind of thinking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego read this thing, except the cord of three stands is you better have God in one of those. You see, they were there in the fire with God in their midst. And together, they could not be broken. And this year, if you want to be a conqueror, if, if you want to set a course for the place God's called you, a good and spacious place for your life, pick out a landmark. The landmark God has for your life. What is it? Maybe it's to seek forgiveness. Maybe God is calling you to a new ministry. 
to serve in some way. Maybe God is calling you to form some habits, but just maybe God is calling you to form some friendships. You've been doing this thing alone for a long time. You came through COVID, that gave you a great excuse, like just to do things on your own, to stay alone, to stay isolated. I'm not, it's not worth it. And now you're doing this thing alone. God never called you to do it alone. You can be attacked when you're by yourself. You need people around you, like I got in my group, that just because they're there and fighting, I'm not giving up. That's who we need in our life. People are going to point us back to Scripture. So if you find a friend and you'll find God, you will not be defeated in 2023. That's how you're going to power your resolve. Get some godly friends. Now here's my one single challenge to you today. Here's the, the single action step. Get in a circle. Get in a circle. See, we're in rows today, and rows are wonderful. Like we worship God corporately. We, we get the, all the voices joining together and lifting up God, and we hear from Him, and we do a lot of great things in rows. But some of the things that God wants to do in our life can only happen in circles. Because this row over here doesn't know that row. And you really don't build relationship in rows. But in circles. Like you've got to know somebody and you become mutually supporting. And, and you attack the objective together. That's what God has called all of us. That's the secret. Daniel, by the way, is never mentioned in this story, is he? He's there by proxy. See, he's, we don't know why he's not in this particular story, but he's really one of the four amigos. You see it all the way through. Here's the thing. The best way to make a godly friend is to be a godly friend. Sometimes we go looking for that friend. I've had a lot of people ask me, how do I make friends? I, I don't know anybody yet. Go get in a circle and be a godly friend to someone. You're in a circle. That's called a life group. Maybe that's ladies' Bible study. Maybe that's going on the mission trip to Honduras. Maybe that's joining a, the Alpha group and discovering some of the big questions of life but being in a circle together. Maybe that's joining Forge, the young adult group. Like, quit playing Rambo because it doesn't work. It's only good in the movies. In real life, Rambos die quick. That's just the reality. And so will you. And so maybe that's the big difference this year. But when you get in that circle, you're going to hear needs. And just, but the very fact of you being there, consistent and encourager, guess what? Other people are going to be encouraged on their journey. And you're going to make a huge difference. And when you're a godly friend, they will seek you out and you will have godly friends. You will have people with you. So that's my challenge for you today. Go get in a circle. Find a Shadrach, a Meshach, and a Abednego. Empower that resolve that God has given you for this year. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every life in this room. You have called them to big things. You've not called them to failure. You've not called them to defeat. You've not called them to be angry with you. You promise that you will be with us in the midst of the fire and that it will not burn us. Lord, I pray for some who are going through, I pray for all of us 
but for some who are in the midst of a fire right now, a fiery furnace, and, and they don't feel like they can survive. They don't know why God has brought them to this place. It hurts. They feel broken. They feel abandoned by you. Father, would they know that you're right there with them? Would you open their eyes that they might see that you're right there, that your arm is around them, that you're leading them, and that they will not be harmed, that there will be no smell of smoke on their clothes, there will be no singe marks on their eyebrows, because you are good. It might feel painful. It might be for a time a hard moment, but you are good, and you are forging them in these fiery moments to have a faith that grows, that, that gives them the opportunity to worship you, that, that moves them into a place where, where they can experience you for all eternity and proves the, the words that they say that they believe in you. Father, would you help us who've failed a test, who maybe haven't responded well in moments where we should have. Father, would you, when the next test comes, would you help us to know that you are good, to know that you are God, and that you will never, ever, ever leave us. And Father, I'm going to pray for each person in this room. Would you give them a Shadrach, a Meshach, and would you make them an Abednego? Would you make them that encourager for others? And Father, would you just move us to the place you have for us this year? Thank you. Thank you that you, that you love us that much and you have that great of a plan for us. And we trust you. We trust you today, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want you to go find those friends. God bless you. Live out that life of resolve. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives.